You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hey guys, John here. I just want to talk about something for a minute. We actually have a Patreon up right now in full swing, and that is our $5 a month plan. It's called Movie Lovers Classics. It covers bonus episodes, reviewing classic movies like you're about to listen to right now with the uh, little Caesar review that we just did, early access to episodes, monthly newsletters, shoutouts on the main uh, feed, early access to episodes, and then we also have all-access documentary series review, which is $10 a month. And that includes bonus episodes, Eli Roth's History of Horror, early access to episodes, monthly newsletters, free digital movies, shout-outs on the main feed as well. And then that also includes our classic uh, movie reviews as well. And then our $20 a month plan is our VIP movie lover. And that also includes bonus episodes, classic movie reviews, interviews with independent actors, actresses, directors, and comic book writers, and it also includes movie lovers documentaries and early access to episodes, monthly newsletters, free digital movies, and shoutouts on the main feed as well. Go ahead, subscribe to the Patreon. We hope that we'll see you there, and always until next time, guys, bye-bye. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. And for today's podcast episode, I actually have independent uh, producer, director, writer with me, Clint Robinson. Say hello to everyone, Clint. Hey, guys. How's it going? Clint Robinson here. Like you said, director, writer, producer, actor, cinematographer, gaffer. I pretty much do every job on the set. I'm a one-man band. Not really. I can do it all, but not all at once. I can imagine that you'll be actually wore up by the time um sets actually getting ready to close to the point where you're just crashed out on the set uh yeah if i tried to do everything at once it would probably be a disaster uh, <laughs> I, I stick to one or two jobs at a time but yeah usually it's like writer director or director producer um i never act and do something else at once that's one thing that it's has to have all my focus because i'm not a great actor so <laughs> i can imagine because even um Sylvester Stallone even tried coaching the actor who played in Creed. He's like, look, I know that you want to direct and act, but tickets from somebody that knows something, right? He said, Let's, kid, it's a lot harder to actually direct and act at the same time. Stick oh, yeah. to what you know. 
<laughs> oh yeah, get what I tell people is get a hundred and ten percent at one thing before you start going over to another. When it comes to on camera and behind camera work, you know what I mean. Right. You wanna you wanna be a hundred and ten percent before you get to doing the other thing at the same time. Otherwise, it's gonna be a disaster for you mentally. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, my question is this: How long have you actually been doing this? Uh, to, uh, being a director, producer, writer, doing cinematography. What got you into this thing? What made you say, "Hey, look, I want to direct movies. I want to make art." and everything what was the go-to okay so a long time ago i was five years old watching empire strikes back on vhs um and i can't really pinpoint one specific part of that movie that made me be like i want to do that so i'm gonna blame just that it's a really good movie probably the best star wars film that was made um, so, you know, I just started getting really interested in how movies were made at that point. And by the time I was a teenager, I was watching Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction oh. back to back. And I was just like, yep, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> so my parents for Christmas got me a camcorder. I just started making horrible home videos, um, <laughs> as is the usual for that story. You know, just started eating through tapes because back then we were recording on those little tiny like mini cassettes. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Eating through those for no reason whatsoever. And then when I entered high school, I found out that um, my school had a film and television productions class. So I enrolled in that. And the first year of that class um, was basically just weeding out the people that wanted to be in it. And it was teaching people like how red, green, blue works, how broadcasting started, what radio broadcasting is, the evolution of the television, all that technical stuff that people think is just ridiculous and unnecessary information. And somehow I even found that interesting. I got a C minus, which was actually like one of the higher grades in the class. <laughs> um, and as long, as long as you pass that class, he lets you go into television and film productions too, which is when you started to get to make like, this is back when YouTube was becoming a thing um so basically like those little tiny like three minute sketches basically what me and my friends did was just like make school appropriate snl skits um <laughs> and then it was also like part of the school's um closed circuit broadcasting networks we also did like some news stuff for the school news channel you know just stupid stuff like what's for lunch today what's the drama club up to this that and the other but you know what i mean we got okay. to play with a bunch of cool stuff and then come senior year by that point the teacher uh mr bouton brian bouton he'd become like my mentor almost almost like an uncle um oh, cool. basically I came to him and I was like, I really want to make a movie. And he's like, all right, let's make a film club. And we made a film club for the school just because I wanted to make a movie. And he walked me through screenwriting. He walked me through casting, walked me through um, pre-production, production, post-production, post just like through the whole thing. And at the end of it, he was like, so you still want to still want to do film? And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I love this. Um, and then I graduated and I followed everybody's advice and got an adult job. Uh, 10 years later, COVID-19 hits and I'm just like, well, um, I'm bored. I guess I want to write. So I started writing the novel and then I was like, got like 10 chapters in and it was just boring and I couldn't stick with it. And I was like, I'm going to write a script while I'm just like got writer's block going on here um wrote a script edited the script proved the script got somebody to look at it and they're like it's actually a really good script you should make this and i was like okay so i did a open casting call got people to come in and audition um and i was like well i guess since they auditioned i'll make a movie and here i am five movies later um about to do my first feature length film um and i'm one of the better known central Illinois filmmakers <laughs> all just because I was bored one day. Um, honestly, it wasn't that I was going to do it anyways. It's just COVID kind of just like forced my hand. Cause I was just like, oh. I can't go out and hang out with people. You know, my job was work from home at the time. 
So I was just like, all right, cool. Might as well just write this while I'm sitting here. Um, but yeah, there was a long gap period. So I guess technically I've been doing this for like 12 years, but oh, wow. realistically, realistically, I've been doing it like maybe cumulatively, maybe like two years just okay. because of that gap, that long, right, long gap. <laughs> <laughs> right. And another thing though, too, is I know that you're working on a film and what is the name of the film? What is it about? I'm curious about this because of the fact that on the poster, I really like the dark apocalyptic background. I like the smoke. It feels like a Mad Max kind of vibe to it in a sense. But right. I know I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. So it's called Paragenics Shadow of the Mind. And um, originally it was just going to be Shadow of the Mind. But I met another filmmaker, Darrell Miller, out of Indianapolis, and he has a brand already established. It's called Paragenics. And it kind of just mm. meshes, meshes well with what I'm doing. So what we did is we kind of combined. He's got his YouTube series that he's going to be doing. He's going to do just like, you know, basically like the TV series format. And okay. what I'm doing over here in Illinois, because our characters aren't going to interact, our story's not going to interact, like loosely, okay. kind of like how Marvel does sometimes, where some of their characters loosely interact, but not completely. Maybe one character jumps over for an episode or something of that nature, but no, like, like Avengers level. Like, right. Yeah. Like a little tip yeah. of the hat kind of thing. Not yeah, enough. Yeah. Acknowledge acknowledge, yeah. Acknowledgement, but not um, like full on interaction. And so, like, my stuff's sticking to Illinois, his stuff's sticking to Indiana type of deal. Um, but what it is, and this is what's a log line, which is basically my elevator pitch of the movie. If I'm stuck in an elevator with you for 30 seconds, this is what I would tell you and see if it piques your interest. Tobias Williams, a man struggling with mental illness and addiction, finds himself thrust into a world of darkness and intrigue that causes him to not only question his own morals, but his own reality. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> I, I think I piqued <laughs> I your that. interest there. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you said, you just saw the, how big my eyes got <laughs> with the reaction yeah. I gave you, especially yeah. when you said mental illness and then some of the other stuff that, I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm glued in. <laughs> so. so it's not full on. That's more like, that's the shadow of the mind. What that poster is. That's like, how he views the world around him is this dark, desolate void. You know what I mean? So the poster itself right. is a metaphor. Um, okay. But basically it's kind of, it's so many different genres. How do I put it? It's like a suspense thriller mixed with dark fantasy mixed with drama, because at the end of the day, even though there is some of this other, how possibly otherworldly stuff going on because this guy's struggling with mental illness. So we don't have a hundred percent an idea of, of what's happening is a hundred percent real or not. Um, okay. But we also have underneath this, a once successful businessman that has become disgraced almost um, because of mental illness and addiction. Mm -hmm. And his struggle with that, his struggle with once being top dog in a small town to being like basically the vagrant people spit on um, and his dealings with how all of his loved ones have abandoned him besides one person and how their views of him are and things of that nature. So the story, even though it has these fantastical or plausibly fantastical elements to them, it's more about the story of family, of mental illness and addiction, of um, how human relationships are complicated. And they're not always, I love you or I hate you, but there's multiple sides to that. And everybody has a story within each other's story. Right. I like that, though, to be honest with you. Now, let me ask you this. You said we don't know what his reality actually is. So does that mean he's actually painting in his head? what his reality would actually look like or is it reality as we look at it, but he looks at it at a different lens. So at points of the film, we're seeing most of the film, we're seeing what's actually happening, but there's okay. points of the film that I've purposely left it ambiguous mm. um, to where you're not sure if what's happening is actually happening or if it's up to Toby or if possibly it's a 50, 50 scenario. 
Um, and I did that kind of to play with the audience, but also to show that sometimes people with mental health aren't completely wrong in what they're seeing. It's just partially correct or partially incorrect. Right. It's just looking at a, uh, he has it through a different lens, if you will. Yeah, exactly. A different, he has a different focal point. Right, exactly. And I actually like that um, point, though. I, I think that this is actually going to be an interesting film. I cannot wait to actually see this and everything in this full detail and everything. I bet that the character is very complex, has a lot of layers to the character as well, mm -hmm. since you're actually dealing with all that stuff combined, which is something that I would actually, if you told me that it was actually streaming on Amazon right now, I would definitely go <laughs> ahead and watch it on Amazon right now. But, oh, you know, for sure. I'm excited. Um, another thing, though, too, that I actually want to do, I want to actually teach some people from behind the scenes stuff and things like that, because here's the thing. I might actually have some people that are part of the film community where they are actually getting into film school. I might actually have some people that are wanting to learn some behind the scenes stuff. So my question is this, like explain what post-production is. Product, Of course, production means that it's already set in stone that there is film being produced, right? Or is that um, okay? So I'll explain, like, in context of this film in particular, just because this is what I'm most hands on with right now, because okay. it's a feature length film, uh, which means it runs longer than 75 minutes. It's going to be an hour and 40 minutes, um, okay. give or take. Um, so pre production basically means from the moment you have the idea until the moment you hit the set. So that means you have the idea. Um, I'll go from how I do it. You have the idea. You sit for four or five months and think, is it actually a good idea? You um, <laughs> you write it down. You start the script. You walk away. You come back eventually, and you're like, all right, I'll nail this out. Um, but So you have the idea. You do your plot summary, your outline, um, basically do your character write outs, which is just, just like Tobias Williams, disgraced businessman, um, diagnosed schizophrenic, alcoholic, and pill addiction. Okay. And then you go from there, you write out other parts that I'm not going to say because of spoilers about the character, right. but more stuff that goes into detail of him. And then what I do is then I start relations, Sam, only support system. Um, Jacob, estranged brother, Lawrence, abusive father, Margaret, um, comatose mother, stuff like that, that, um, you write out who they're related to and how they're related to each character throughout the rest of the script. And then you go through and you start writing each character, their description and their relations. And then once you get that, you should then go into start to writing the script, because at that point you have a story and character development with just those characters and their relations. So at that point, you're basically just tying in what characters are doing where and when. And then what I do is I write the script, I proofread it myself, and then I send it to somebody else to proofread because you're going to be 100% attached to the script no matter what, so you're not going to want to edit. You're going to want to keep it how it is. And you right. need somebody, not, not just a friend or a family member, you need somebody you can trust to be as brutally honest as possible because that's what I do. Um, Courtney Rainier and Nick Kafkis. Um, they're two people I work with on a lot of films. Nick Kafkis is actually the guy that's going to be starring as Toby. Courtney Rainier is my wardrobe department. Um, they tell me brutally, they'll be like, Hey man, this entire scene's worthless. Why is it there? Or like with this movie, they were like, the first 90% is great. The ending was rushed. So I had to go back and fix the ending to make it, you know, not rushed. Right. And I did that with their help, and it's now what we think it can probably enter Sundance once it's made. Obviously, right now, this is all just theory. Um, right. So once you get that script, you go into casting. And that's still in pre-production, you know, and you just find the best fit for each character. And then once you have casting done, build your crew. So you need, you know, your director, assistant director. It just all depends on the size of this. With this, I have a 20-person crew because it's a feature right. film. It's got a big production. And then after that, you get everybody to sign the non-disclosure agreements, figure out your contracts, everybody's day rate, and then build a shot list, which is we're going to shoot all the bar scenes on this day. These are the people that need to be present. 
And then you figure out how many days you're going to have, like on this film, we're going to have eight shoot days. So at that point I found out how many days we have, how much every person costs and how, what days everybody's going to be there. So at that point I can build a budget for my cast and crew, which I think with this film came out to Um, $30,000. Roughly. I'm not going to get into specifics, but like roughly, roughly about that. And then you do a script breakdown and figure out your props, special effects, wardrobes, location prices, location scouting. Right. And then once you have that, you'll have your full on budget, which I made public knowledge that the budget for this film is basically $85,000. Um, give or take. I never give exact right. amounts. Um, right. And that's basically pre-production in a nutshell. And then, you know, you go through script read throughs and stuff like that. You build the wardrobe, right. you get the props, you do a bunch of different stuff like that. And then the day you hit set is production. Production is the shortest time in film because like with this, it's only eight days. This project is a year and a half long. Only eight days of that is production time. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, and post-production is everything after the set is broke down. So editing, sound design, original soundtrack, scoring, marketing, distribution, festival runs, everything up until um it launches everything up until it's commercially available is post-production and that all just depends like this i'm gonna run through some film festivals to see if i can't garner any money for extra marketing and distribution before i get it distributed right and people don't realize that though doing something small like that even though it's like maybe a thirty thousand dollar movie or eighty thousand dollar movie it's a lot like fishing you actually have to hope that somebody will actually pick this up to where you can actually get more funding for this movie they only see a small portion they don't see the bigger lens to everything either it's like yeah okay just give me my movie that's all i want that's all i care about but there's a lot more to it in that context of just giving my movie <laughs> and yeah. there's production costs there's everything to go with it you have to pay your um crew people you actually have to pay the pr person you have to pay everybody to actually make everything hotels yep. travel food all that fun stuff you have to find somebody that wants to distribute your movie and who they partner with and their percentages they take and royalty fees and stuff mm-hmm. like that um there's a lot of business and usually the director doesn't do that. But since I'm a director producer, I take on pretty much like 70% of the stress of a project, but that's just Mm -hmm. because I like that. I, I like doing that and I want to learn that. Um, So this, this project is the biggest project most of us has been on. Um, I mean, Nick Kafkis, the star Toby, the guy who's playing Toby, he's been in Fargo, but he was a background character. Um, like a a recurring background character um he was in the latest season for three episodes um courtney rainier my wardrobe and makeup department head she worked on house of cards season five and the it remake so like and and i myself i've worked on history channel for forged in fire i told you that last week because i was supposed to be on here um but yeah, so like so we we all have quote unquote done big things, but we're still indie. Um, right. And that's something too that I want to mention. Just because you see certain people in movies in a big budget film like it or into different TV shows, it does not mean that they made it big. It just means that they acknowledge that they're talent, and that's it. You don't actually yeah. see millions of dollars or anything like that, like you actually think, because it's always about trying to get to the next job. It's always about trying. As long as you keep on trying, that's that's all you can do in this business. Each day that you wake up and you do something, you're that much closer to that goal. But you have to do oh, the yeah. job first before you. Only like one percent of the people in the industry make that million dollar paycheck. <laughs> um, right. I'm I'm doing this full time, so I'm technically like what I consider a success. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm I don't know if I'll ever be household name. I've never wanted that. I just want right. to make my stuff right. like if my stuff ends up on netflix great i just don't want it to be on like the netflix like home page just right, because exactly. at that point people know who i am and i don't really i don't want that i know all the people that work with me want that so 
dear God, I'm probably going to have to reach that goal. <laughs> just <laughs> just like for it's, them. It's so real. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll have to reach that just for them. There you go, guys. <laughs> I love you. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's the process of the film. Most of it is not in production, even at Hollywood level stuff. Like I think Avengers infinity war was like a five year thing. And only like yep. six months of that was on set. Um, so it's people think that most of it's like you get a script, you go shoot, and then it gets sent no. out. And she's no, 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 like there's you start rewrite. getting I've, <laughs> there's rewrites, there's reshoots. I haven't had to do a reshoot yet, thank god. Um, a project I've assisted directed has to do reshoots, but nothing that's like been directed by me. Now, this being a feature film coming up, there's gonna be reshoots that's it's once you yeah. get into like eight days of filming, it's inevitable. Like a memory card's going to get corrupted or batteries are going to die in a film camera, or we're going to end up having a boom mic in an important shot that otherwise was like a perfect take. Like it's going to, it's going to happen. So I built that into the budget in my miscellaneous fund, um, which I recommend everybody that if you don't do that, have a miscellaneous fund that is 10% of your budget just in case. Um, I know it sounds like a lot, so really the budget for this film is more like seventy-five thousand, but ten thousand of it is miscellaneous. If that doesn't get used, right. it just gets rolled over into my company's, um, my company's checking account to get used for later projects. It's not like I pocket that ten thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> it's just exactly. gonna be used on a future project. That way, I don't have to or, raise like whatever or use to cover marketing or distribution yeah. deals for this current project. Like it's just gonna be used at one way or another. And I recommend that anyways, like always have extra money in your company's accounts just so that you right. can do something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a great project. Um, I haven't really released a lot of information about it. We're going to have an original soundtrack. Um, all of that being Illinois based musicians. Since nice. this film's being made in Illinois, we're all doing Illinois independent musicians we already have two songs finished. Um, there's going to be, I think, 15 songs on the soundtrack. So it's going to be really cool. Obviously, you're not going to hear all 15 songs, like all six minutes of each song in the film. It'll probably right. be like 30-second snippets here and there. But um, what we're doing is all the major characters have a theme song, and then there's like five plot points that have a theme song as well. So I kind of I kind of took inspiration from like John Williams with um, Star Wars, where each okay. character has their theme song. But instead of it being an original like orchestral thing, it's like rap, R&B, indie rock. Um, I think we have some death metal, um, oh, nice. <laughs> some some um, some EDM. I don't think we have country just because there's not a character that has a country feel. But yeah. um you know it's it's really awesome casper alexander um aka chai songwriter is my soundtrack coordinator and he's built an amazing team i'm excited that's pretty cool it. though because here's the thing too like i actually interviewed uh tell me i'm brock and everything he's an independent director as well and he actually had theme songs for every single person that he created as well for his universe mm -hmm. that he made and to me i love whenever they when directors do that because it's our introduction to that character for the very first time yeah. and we actually need to actually have a feel for him and that music actually amplifies that character and who he is oh, yeah. and represents who he is for the first time because if you don't have that certain key element it can be thrown off the very first set if you don't have that right oh, music or anything. Oh, exactly. It's kind of reminiscent of Darth Vader and the Imperial March. You can't think of one without the other. Um, from Star Wars, you know, the dun, 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 yep. dun, dun. Like his walking and you hear that music, you instantly get that feeling of dread for that character. And right. I feel it's important with this film because each character kind of embodies a negative personality trait almost um and like this goes into like i almost like have a psychological like dissertation written for each of these characters and why they represent a certain thing it's like almost i don't have it at hand i think i left it in my suitcase um but yes. it's like 
90 page. It's almost as long as a script just breaking down why each character represents a certain thing and who they are and their personality levels, because the plan for this is to not just be a standalone film. It can be viewed as a standalone film perfectly, but it's planned to have four sequels and I'd love to do a prequel just because there's some questions that don't get answered right away. But so I have to, as a writer, understand these characters down to like their core motivations, their core beliefs and the reasonings behind each of these, which that's almost just me in a nutshell. Anyways, I would do that for fun, even if it's just a 15 minute short, but um, <laughs> it's also like, I, I'm, I, I kind of am like, like a pessimist almost i'm like what if i die and this never gets finished so i like almost right. have an instruction book ready for somebody to pick it up and finish it for me like i almost have a roadmap. i'm like this is what i'm doing do it <laughs> so basically you have a lightsaber ready for somebody i'm to ready to pass it i'm ready to pass along the lightsaber yep that's what i'm doing I here <laughs> that's perfect you know yep. passing yeah, the baton um... <laughs> That's pretty cool, though, because I'm actually the same way, though, too, to be honest with you. It's like, okay, who's going to do what I do after I'm, after I'm done? Or exactly. if this script doesn't get done that I'm working on, whatever, who's going to take up the reins? Who's going to treat exactly. her with the same respect that I do and everything? So I actually have that in my head as well. I think every artist actually has that in their heads as well. It's probably built in because, like, this series has become almost like – it's almost like my love letter to film. Um, and it sounds like a negative love letter and it probably is. It's almost like a, an I love you, but because I, my issue with a lot of modern films is a lot of it is two dimensional. Yep. Um, I agree. And a lot of characters are flat, stereotypical, atypical mm -hmm. characters like we can get into the Avengers where every character has one personality trait and that's them. Yep. Like Quill is sarcastic. That's it. Uh, Captain mm -hmm. America is a Patriot. That's all he is. Um, and then with this film, it's almost like all these characters, you can't predict them because they're human and humans right. aren't predictable. It's not like I wrote them to be unpredictable. I wrote them to be human, which is to be unpredictable. Um and to feel because, some type of emotion. Yeah. And, and the characters, some of the times you're like, why the hell did they do that? And then you watch it again, or in this case, read it again. And you're like, oh, because of this thing that happened earlier that day that just triggered them to act this way. Um, that type of thing. Like, right. it's, I. It's like a falling I, down situation. Yeah. Thing in a set. It's. This is why I like Quentin Tarantino. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of things I don't like about his films nowadays just because of Hollywood, Hollywoodizing him in some ways. Mm -hmm. But he writes characters and he writes good dialogue. And that's what inspired me with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, you can't see Quentin Tarantino inspiration in my work because I'm me. I'm not a Quentin Tarantino clone. <laughs> um, which that's just me knocking at a lot of independent filmmakers that say they're inspired by Quentin Tarantino and they just made like Pulp Fiction 2 or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like that's all, that's what they think inspiration means. But what I'm trying to do with this is show that you can write great characters, have a great story and have a great message all at the same time. It can be entertaining and it can be fun. Now the, my work I've been told is emotionally draining at times because it's once it gets going, it doesn't stop until the end. Um, but right. I think that's what people want in their films. You don't need a lull. Um, you want entertainment, you want enjoyability, but you also want, and what I like to put in there is an education right? about something. You're going to take something away from it. Even if you don't take away a new awareness for mental health, you might take an, away, an awareness that maybe you might be like this one character in a way. Um, which, by the way, the heroes, the villains, because, you know, protagonist, antagonist, it's almost you can root for all of them in some ways, even the bad guys. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're human. 
Exactly. And they have to feel some type of emotion level or whatever. Otherwise, yeah. it just feels like very bland. Like they just got out of bed and just said a few lines and then went back to sleep again. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, a lot and I have of... to agree with you on something real quick. Um, is the fact that everything does feel like it's very genetic. Uh, gen generic, I mean. Where it's like yeah. they're, they're just reciting lines. There's no uh, layers to the character or anything like that. And I'm like, come on, give us something because we got better TV. Sh we have better TV shows now than we ever got before where we actually oh, have yeah. those layers for those characters where they can actually be fleshed out. Come on, don't treat us like idiots. Give us something that we can actually chew on. Give us something to actually yeah. digest. Them, you know, so I definitely agree with you on that. That's, that's really just the Hollywood way. Um, right. for cinema nowadays is they have like all these like rules or guidelines or whatever you can't do this don't do this don't do this the audience is an idiot is what they're saying um, right. whereas like sorry I had some okay. gas there um, <laughs> one, one of uh, I will die on the hill that this show is perfect dark the German show dark mm -hmm. on Netflix perfect Perfect. If you want to see a perfect show, watch this. Don't watch it with the English voiceovers. Watch it with the German voice with the subtitles. You're not a monster. Um, watch <laughs> that. Watch The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Like These are perfect bits of cinema. And yeah. I honestly feel like good storytelling is in long-form storytelling nowadays. Um, it's just paragenic shadow of the mind is something that should be seen in a feature length film format. I have stuff I'm working on that I want to be long form, you know, series formatted storytelling, but that's going to be a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, just because that's something that if I can't make it the way I want to make it, I will turn down whatever deals. So it's going to, I'm want my stuff to be made a certain way, right? Uh, that's and that's why here. some people might not fund it because I won't hand over creative control. I won't. It's just I don't blame I you. <laughs> I don't blame um, you. It's like this is my art. You take it as is and take me with it, or you do yeah. without me. Now I might write. I'm. I might right. write something that could be called like a sellout piece or something. Just be like, yeah, take it, whatever. But right. that's something down the line. What I'm working right. on now is right. All... But something as big as what you're working on, I wouldn't want to have creative control. Here's the thing: I, if I was a studio and they said, "Hey, look, I want to go on ahead and buy your stuff, but you're not going to have." But here's the thing: you're not coming with it. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. But um, I am. Oh yeah. I am. The this project and pretty much every project I have coming up, I'm keeping creative control. There might be one or two that I'm like, eh, I might surrender partial creative control, but that's about as far as I'll go. And that's more just because like that could be something that could get me recognized to get funded for these bigger things. And that's right. more the business aspect. Like I said, I think a lot on the business side of things. So sometimes you got to sacrifice a little bit. Um, exactly. But not with certain projects, not with like no. this project in particular I've been working on since October. So oh, wow. that's that doesn't sound like a long time, but that's like five months almost. And it's not even in production yet. <laughs> <laughs> but still, though, I mean, you have to think of it like this, though. You want your script to be perfect. You want everything to actually be smooth on the pages so the way it's easily fleshed out for the actor reciting the lines and actually making it believable for that actor or actress or else it's just going to fall to pieces and you have to go through several rewrites or something to where you know it's actually perfect <laughs> because i know one thing when i was working on my very first draft or whatever i'm like i kind of went on ahead and went a little too fast with this i think i need to go on ahead and rewrite this out so it could take exactly. a while for that's you know exactly it can it can take a while it can it, you want to make sure whatever you put out there under your name is the best product because that represents you as a creator definitely and you're a brand and you want to represent your brand as much as you can you know what i mean a lot of people don't think definitely. about that either once you get into this industry you are the product as much as the product is you you know exactly because they want everything to be centered around you. They want to invest in you. So the mm -hmm. next thing you know, you become the machine. 
basically. To an extent, like, you know, like, when it comes to stuff like social media, you should, like, watch what you do or say and stuff like that at times, you know what I mean? Right. Um, But it's more like how you represent yourself when you're pitching or, like, your professionalism or, like, they'll grade your script, you know what I mean? Like, you want to make sure that it's worded the best way it can, formatted the best way it can, you know, it's up to industry standards, now my question is this how much like how, how many pages is an actual script in itself like on for a future length film uh like i said 75 minutes is standard for feature length um that right. means about 75 pages about each 25? script yeah each uh script page is about 50 minutes of time of film length. Okay. So that's why I say about 75. It'd be more like 80 because 50 minutes doesn't correlate to a full minute. Um, I mean, 50 seconds doesn't correlate to a full minute. Um, But like this project, uh, Paragenic Shadow of the Mind, is 100 pages long. So that's why I said it's going to be about 140, give or take, because dialogue moves faster than action. Or is it vice versa? Um, One of those moves faster than the other. Um plus depending on the pacing of the dialogue or the pacing of the action um there's some tricks i know to lengthen scenes out like the scene might only be a minute long but i can make it look i can make it into two minutes um just based off of camera angles and stuff like that so it really just depends on like what you're wanting out of the film itself like i've had 35 page long scripts turn into 55 minutes um but general rule of thumb one minute per one page okay that's something i was actually kind of curious about so yeah absolutely um so if you want feature length just get about 75 pages okay and another thing too i was actually going to ask you about was this when it comes down to deciding on the camera angles that you want and everything, how do you go about choosing the best camera angle for <laughs> um, for everything? So typically what you want to do is you'll have three standard shots that you'll do. We'll say there's two people in the scene. We'll have three standard shots. We'll do the wide angle shot that shows both characters facing each other. And then you'll do a close up of character A and then a close up of character B. And that's your standard typical scene. Now, when you're having multiple, um, like seven characters in there, you have to start deciding do all seven of them get a close up for the entire scene? Or is it more like you're going to get the establishing shot, wide-angle shot, and then the close-ups of the two primary or the three primary characters in that interaction, and then just reactionary shots from the rest of them? So it could only be like two dialogue lines, two dialogue lines, one dialogue line type of thing. Now that's if it's a dialogue-heavy scene. If it's an action scene, you want to have your camera focused on the predominantly important action that's happening so in a fight scene you don't want and the two main characters are in a fight with each other and there's a bunch of background characters fighting each other you want to predominantly focus on those two main characters that are interacting but you do want to involve what's going on behind them so you might have like establishing wide angle shots showing everybody then close up of the two people and then dependent usually you focus on the person that's got the upper hand in the situation, plus reactions to the person that's in the um, lower hand position as well. Okay, that's something um, I was thinking about. A good a good way to think to just learn camera angles is, and this sucks, is to watch stuff not for enjoyment but taking notes and looking at what they're right. doing um you know like watch stuff you've seen a million times like watch braveheart or watch you know like star wars episode four or something you know something that you've most likely seen a bunch so you don't have to worry about the story and you can focus on what they did and why they did it 
exactly. That's something I actually pay attention to as a film reviewer, though, too, is like the camera angles and everything of how the characters are actually facing. I look at just about everything and analyze just about everything on the film my very first time uh, watching yeah. a film. What I do is I'll, I'll watch the first time for enjoyment and then immediately watch again if I'm doing a review. Um, unless it's like, you know, an independent film that I'll just watch and review at the same time. I don't like a lot of independent films just because a lot of them are people that aren't. They're the pretentious filmmakers that I talked about earlier. I don't like that are just clones of famous directors and they're not good at it. You know, yeah, um, I gotcha. <laughs> that's not but, to throw shade. It's just, you know, there's right. some great ones out there that I've watched that I'm mind blown that they were able to make it with like $10,000. And I'm just like, how the right. hell did you do this? Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, but, though, if you're um, get this, I actually interviewed two kids <laughs> with no budget at all or anything like that. And like, you know what? We want to make a movie. So they made a movie called Concrete Jungle. And it was just them filming what they knew out in their neighborhood. They filmed in a their their dad's comic book shop a little bit. They used independent um, local bands for one of their background for background music and stuff like that too. And it was like a 40 minute long video uh, movie. And it was and it took me back to my high school days, I'll tell you that. But it was actually That's pretty awesome. cool about how they did it. That, that's awesome. Um, I'd recommend like uh, this is a sci-fi one. It's called The Submerged Universe by Demetrius Witherspoon. A okay. lot of good um, short films in there. I think they're coming out with their first feature uh, Submerged Blue Star. Okay. Uh, and I'll also recommend something else though too for you. Crichton Hobbs actually has a documentary out that he just made called How Many Chances? Mm -hmm. And that, that documentary is really good. It's actually on Amazon Prime right now. And okay, it's just and it's about his life, about him suffering with diabetes, with him getting into ten car accidents, surviving that, and yeah, he's been through it all, including uh, some other stuff. And Sinbad, uh, the the comedian, even uh, was telling people about it. So I recommend that. Oh, speaking of Crichton. <laughs> Hey, buddy. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, I'll definitely watch it. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, what were we talking about? Okay. Yeah, um, we were talking about the camera angles and when we were. Oh yeah, it yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I. That's how I've learned a lot about camera angles. I never went to film school, um, okay. so. Uh, I don't recommend film school. I, I say this all the time. At this point, it's an outdated, archaic system for people that just want to take your money. You can learn more about film by doing it um, than you can from film school. I have people that come on my sets that went to film school, and they're oh. just about as lost as somebody that didn't. Um, and like, that's not to like be mean towards them like i help them a lot and feel bad because they got into debt for something and all they learned is like the meaning behind rosebud in citizen kane you know what i mean like right. just stuff like that and like they learned the 180 rule which is like something you learn the second you step on set and try to mess with the cinematographer um but other than that, they don't learn much. They learn how to format a script, but you don't need to know how to format a script anymore. You just download a script formatting software and you're done. Um, right. But yeah, like you'll learn more on your first film set as a director than you ever will in film school. And it will all be mean, what not to do. <laughs> and to be honest with you, hands-on is probably the best way to go about it than reading something out of a book or learning something from a teacher, being in a classroom and things like that, too, because I'm a big hands-on kind of person. Uh, this is what Crichton said. He yeah, said, me either. Exactly. I didn't go to film school either. <laughs> and neither did Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, um, Quentin Tarantino was a dropout. Um... I think the only famous directors I know of that win are Ron Howard, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg. There's the ones I know of for sure. Uh, Kevin Smith never finished nope. or he never went. Um, I also know he committed credit fraud 
to create clerks. So if that didn't work out, he was going to go to prison. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know about that part. I just knew about him yeah. selling his comic book collection to try yeah. and make the, pro make the profit work. And yeah. like, I didn't know about that, so I learned something new yeah. just now. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's something that you don't need to do. It's like, it's going to school for art. You don't need to go to school to paint. Like, I guess if you really want to know certain techniques and you can't get them down on your own go, but it's like creative writing. I, why? Right. <laughs> like, uh, unless you plan on being a professor, but I don't, I don't get it. It's just one of those uh, money machines. That's what film school right. is. You're just funding that school. That's it. Another thing, though, too, you get is like, I'm an actor. You have this knobby nose, people that come in. I went in. to Juilliard. And it's like, <laughs> right. oh boy, you went to <laughs> school. I don't want to talk bad about it because one of my best right. actresses um, right. is going to school for acting right now. But she's learning. I guess it's useful if you've never acted before. True. Um, because yeah, she's learning it. certain acting techniques, but I can guarantee you she's learned more on my sets than she has for school. Right, because you're limited in the classroom on what you can learn and yeah. everything. Because you're not faced with several other people. You're only involved in your peers and your teacher, and that's it. Yeah. You're not involved in the big, huge, you know, I'm not, well, the spotlight, if you will, with independent. Uh, projects and everything she's not on the set to actually see the bigger picture or anything she only sees a smaller picture than oh. what the teacher's actually painting her and everything. oh yeah and i mean i'm but not saying gonna, i'm not saying don't go like if you're really right. gung-ho and want to go go yeah. you know like i started i've i did my first semester and i got like a 100 percent in all my classes during that first semester but I looked at the like syllabus for the next three and a half years, and I probably was ahead by three years. I wouldn't have learned anything until the end of the fourth year, which by the time we got there, I probably would have learned. I would have probably already known everything. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, um, but um, you said you had a bunch of questions for me. <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, okay, for another thing though, too, because I oh, hear the thing. I'm enjoying this film story. festivals. You wanted to talk about film festivals too. Yep. <laughs> so, um, audience question. Um, so okay. my thoughts on film festivals. I think that they have their place. They have their purpose. I'm doing them, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, it's an easy way to get your, if you get accepted, which by the way, they're a racket, 5% of films get accepted into film festivals. You have to pay to get into them. If you don't get into the festival, because you know, there's an acceptance period, it's almost like an interview or an application. Um, so you pay your $50, you submit your thing, you wait for three months, you find out you got in. Cool. That doesn't mean anything. That just means you're an official selection for the film festival. Now you wait three more months, find out that you didn't win anything, but they're like, hey, people saw your movie. Great. If you do win stuff, that's cool, but there's so many film festivals out there. People really don't care unless it's Tribeca, Rain Dance, Sundance, or like Chicago International right. Film Festival, Los Angeles International, you know, international big time thing. But the cool thing about them and why I do them is – if your thing gets accepted, you create buzz already. People are watching your project that wouldn't have watched it before. People are going to go and talk about it. People are going to let people know. Because people that watch film festivals are big movie crunchers and like to watch things. So they'll talk about it. Good or bad, there's no such thing as bad press. Because if they're talking about you, people are going to watch it. Okay. Um. Second, if you win stuff, that's just another award to put onto your resume, to put onto that movie's resume. Third, a lot of distributors and producers, networks, big names, investors, they view films and film festivals. So that's almost, 
instead of doing a private pitching, you're having them, they're sitting in that theater already. They're watching your thing. And if they like it, they'll get in contact with you because of all of your information is public when you're in that festival right. to anybody viewing it. So it's good for that purpose. I think a lot of how festivals are run is like scammy because why did I just pay you $50 and I don't even get like $20 back? I'm right. a struggling filmmaker. I just spent literally two weeks ago $600 on film festival applications. Now, I got into two of them so far, but one of them only cost me $5. So <laughs> I got into another one that was $50. So that one I'm happy about. The $5 one, I was yeah. like, I kind of just added you in there to round it up. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, right, I, right. Think, I think they have a place. I also think nowadays you can go through non-traditional distributing. You can go through traditional distributing. You have a lot more avenues than just production house or festival circuit. Um, you just need to be the judge of your own thing, like the judge of your own product. You need to be able to sit back and say, this thing's crap and isn't going to win and just go ahead and get it on YouTube and Amazon prime. Um, right. if you think it can win, submit it. If you think it can win Sundance, submit that shit. Um, right. you know, you just have to be like myself. I know I knew what this film was capable of. So I submitted it to the contest I knew it was capable of. Because that's what a festival is, is a contest. Um, this next short one um, that is going to be finished February 12th, this one I'm going to submit to a lot more festivals than the one I just did because I think it's capable of a lot more than what my last one is. And Shadow of the Mind, even though it hasn't been produced yet, this thing's going to Sundance. Oh, nice. Um, for sure. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> it's going <laughs> and it's going to get in. Um, how I'm going to do that though, is first I'm going to take it to a couple smaller places, win those, and then take it to Sundance just because I can be like, Hey, it won Chicago international. It won New York regional, whatever. Yeah. My question is this too, is North by Northwest, the biggest one or Sundance still the biggest one that you can actually go by. Cause I know North by Northwest is actually pretty good too, but Sundance. Yeah. Is Sundance, um, Tribeca, North by Northwest, Rain Dance, those those ones are gonna always be the biggest, just because they have like you can say Sundance, and people know what that is that aren't even in the industry. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. It's exactly. it's just like it's just like Hollywood. Hollywood isn't even the place where most of the movies are made anymore. They're made in more like to right. Toronto, Chicago, and Atlanta. But New Orleans, yeah. yeah. But they're Hollywood. So it's right. always going to be Hollywood. People are like, I'm going to move out to LA and work. And I'm like, well, Chicago's three hours away from you. Just go there. You can get on Empire, Chicago PD, Chicago Fire. Like you can right. get on a bunch of other things. You don't have to go out there. Go down to Atlanta and get on Walking Dead. I don't know. Like, why are you going to LA? Everybody goes to right. LA. So basic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also because it's like okay I can probably try and work as a waiter or a waitress and maybe there might be a chance that I might actually see somebody that can actually give me a shot but even then that's you, like have a a better, you, you have a better shot in Atlanta or in Chicago or New York or Toronto um, right. those places but yeah festivals have they have a place I I think they're dying um covid kind of saved them at this point um because there's more out there but i think I, I i think it's not your main shot anymore um definitely worth especially it, when you look at right right i look at I, possibilities with youtube everything else yeah i i'm yep i'm i'm a traditional person just because that's like i'm still part of that generation that grew up film festival I'm 28, you know, but like the younger people coming up like 1920, they're probably have a better understanding of how to get their stuff seen on YouTube and all that stuff. Um, and I think of it as a bit at the business aspect as well. Um, the more festivals you get into, that's more laurels you have. The more festivals you win, that's the more laurels you have. At this point, you're not just new independent feature film. Your independent feature film, official acceptance into six festivals, mm -hmm. winner of these awards. 
and it creates more hype for you. Definitely. And let's see. Another thing, though, too, there's actually one more thing I want to actually catch on before we actually close out is this, like, I know with, with the editing as far as it goes and everything, everybody's thinking in movie trailers that the director has a say-so in what goes into a trailer. That's actually not true at all, unless you're like a Christopher Nolan that can actually say what goes and what doesn't go into a trailer. This unless is... You're indie. Yeah, in indie, the director has a lot more pull. Um, in Hollywood, it's all about the marketing producer and line producer. In the independent film, the director, like, I know myself, I'm in the editing room all the time. Um, but so in independent, the director kind of blurs a lot of lines just because the unions and the guilds aren't as heavy as they are in Hollywood In Hollywood. There's like hard lines. Director does this line producer does this marketing producer does this in independent film. It's almost like the line producer, the marketing manager, the executive producer and the director all like talk about stuff and get it okay. to be a hundred percent. Um, which is why certain things like Terminator Dark Fate had their spoiler in there because the marketing manager didn't understand what the story was. If they would have just right. communicated with the director, they would have known mm -hmm. exactly not to put John Connor being a Terminator in the first teaser trailer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that guy probably doesn't have a job anymore. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. And then also, too, the music that they actually put in that trailer wasn't even that great either. Because I remember, no. like, it was like nothing to really be hyped up for. It was like it wasn't okay. your standard Terminator. Dun dun, no, dun, dun. it wasn't. It, was no. it was just some weird stuff. They were like trying to do like they were, that person was probably like really hard on Inception. It was like I really wanted <laughs> to be Inception, but yeah, um, the editing process is a weird thing to talk about because like the Hollywood process is completely different than the independent process. Um, and it's a lot different in like the full industry, but the biggest difference is in the editing process because it's all about marketing for the trailer. Um, the director is in there a lot for the final product, but for the trailer, because trailer is technically marketing, is advertisement and yeah. promotional material. So it would be the marketing director or manager, not the like actual director. Unless you're Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan can do whatever he wants, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so that's pretty much everything that i wanted to cover i do want to have you back on again for a second interview or just it. have you on as a guest seriously this has been a great conversation i really like the stories back and forth and everything this has been really great um uh, go on uh, i said absolutely i'd love to you know like it's been a great time i didn't even realize it already been an hour um right <laughs> It doesn't feel like it, to be honest with you. I just like it whenever it's just a free flow conversation, just back and forth, two people just talking about film. That's basically what I love about this concept. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's that's exactly how it should be. Um, you know, before we sign off, just everybody, I have a Facebook group um, for the upcoming feature film. Go join that. It's Paragenics Shadow of the Mind. That's spelled P A R. A G E N E X shadow of the mind. Just request to join. I'll accept you. Um, that's where all the news for crowdfunding is going to be all updating stuff. You can even go back. I have videos of me in the cast and crew, just talking about the film itself. You'll learn a whole lot about it, a whole lot about each and every character, the wardrobe, the script, um, sound design, lighting, like the whole shebang. You'll learn probably as much as you will in the behind the scenes documentary as well. Okay. Um, so go join that crowdfunding launches February 12th. Um, so you'll be able to see the link for that on that um, page. I just said, or my production company's page R and R film productions, LLC. We just changed the name recently. Yep. That's the new one. R and sign R film productions, LLC. All right. 
And everyone, you guys can actually go ahead and do this if you guys want to. I understand the pandemic has actually put everybody's pockets on hold right now. But if you guys want to, if you want to show some love uh, for what I do and everything, go on ahead and go to the GoFundMe page below. Another thing, too, guys, is this. Go, uh, we're actually sponsored by Audible. So go on ahead and click on your 30-day trial and get you some books and everything. Read some books. Read some sci-fi, some horror, whatever, whatever to your liking or whatever it is. Go ahead and click on that. Another thing, too, is if you guys want to follow me, go ahead and go to Movie Lovers Unite, TV Lovers Unite on Facebook. Movie Lovers TV Lovers Unite on Instagram. Follow me there. On Twitter, you can follow me on Movie Lovers Unit. And then, of course, you can follow me at John DeGorio 8 For all your entertainment needs and pleasures, you can go to www.movieloversunite.com. And then we, Frenchie and I actually have a little show going together. It's called uh, Neighbors Watching Trailers. And what does that do? I'm glad that you guys asked. What we do is we actually do trailer reactions to movies, and we actually do retro trailers. We do new trailers. We do Netflix trailers. We do anything trailers. As a matter of fact, speaking of trailers, Frenchie and I will be on speaker tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock uh, Eastern Time, and then 6 o'clock Pacific Time to actually talk about movies versus trailers. Check us out on speaker. And also, too, if you guys also want to do this, Follow me on Pinterest as well because we actually have some stuff going on with Pinterest recently. So check me out over there at Movie Lovers TV Lovers Unite over there. And always until next time, guys. It's been a blast. It's been fun. I can't wait not to do this. I can't wait to do this again. And always until next time. Bye-bye. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, and I just want to sit, talk about something real quick, and that is Audible. What is Audible? I'm so glad that you guys asked. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers like Anne Rice, Stephen King, the list just goes on. Their whole entire catalog, when it comes down to audiobooks, is just fantastic. If you're on on the road and everything and you want an audiobook and you want to download it fast go ahead go to audible you're not going to regret it they actually have a trial right now that you guys can actually jump on you can actually go on ahead go to the link and it'll bring you up to that trial and a matter of fact every month members actually get one credit to pick any title plus two audible originals from a monthly selection and access to daily news digest from the new york times the wall street journal and the washington post as well as guided meditation programs another thing too guys that's not all they have they also have they also have finish if you actually want to go ahead and do some things to actually better yourself for 2021 they have stuff for that too like finishing more books or becoming a better parent leader or a person how-to books which is something that everybody seems to grab onto a lot lately and everything else. So if you guys are actually looking for something to maybe better yourself for 2021, go on ahead, check out those books as well. They have a big catalog. You guys won't regret it. Go ahead, click on the link below in the description notes. Go on ahead. You guys won't regret it. Sign up for that trial period. And always until next time, stay safe, guys, and enjoy the show. And God bless.